Hey everybody, welcome back. My name is Chris. And I'm Erica. And this is The The Yamcast. We are so excited to hang out with you again. We're going to talk about Colossians and a bunch of other things. If you want to talk to us, we would love to get to know you. You can find us at various platforms and social media accounts and an email address called yamcastpod at gmail.com. And if you're looking for ways to support the Yamcast, the best way is to rate and review. We actually have an awesome review Yay. from Mackenzie Robinson. I think that's how you say it. She said, Chris and Erica do such a great job at explaining the Bible and making you interested and leave you wanting to learn more. I love listening to what they have to say and look forward to listening to their podcast. I think that deserves a sticker. It will get a sticker. We're working on merch right now. Yes, we are. Stickers. Other merchandise. <laughs> what, shirts, mugs, hats, yeah. all the things. Let's do it. Let's do it. Jean jackets. <laughs> With the patches. Bedazzled pants. Ah, <laughs> please. <laughs> All right. Colossians 1, 24 through 2, 5, right? Yes. Yes. All right. Well, let me read, and then we'll, we'll chat about this passage. So here comes the read-through, starting with verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So yeah, we did a few more verses this time. It's a chunk. Um, I thought I would actually stop at a, a period. Yeah. Right? A whole sentence. Right? So I know Paul in the beginning cannot be saying that there is something lacking in Christ's afflictions. I just know he's not saying that. So what is he actually saying here? He is saying something is missing in Christ's afflictions. And then he is met. No, seriously, though, this is a I love that. That's the first question you have. That is this verse. That is the one of the main problems with Colossians that scholars have argued about for a really, really, really long time. Mm-hmm. So what some scholars say is clearly Christ's afflictions are not lacking. Therefore, what Paul is saying, he might be saying it in a hyperbole, like a hyperbolic way of saying, you know, hey, uh, it's lacking. And everyone would go, they would scoff at that and be like, what? it's not lacking. And then they would go, oh, wait, what is Paul really getting at? That's possible. Another possibility is he is saying that Christ's afflictions saved us. And in the same way, what Christ has called us to is to follow in those afflictions. Therefore, it is not fully finished until we have joined him in his afflictions. Okay. Which I think is probably the stronger translation or the stronger, you know, conceptual idea there. So that he has joined in those afflictions. Yes. And if, yeah, he gets many afflictions upon himself. Right. Totally. And, And what Paul says and a number of other people in the New Testament as well say, we are joining Christ in this march. As we follow the will of God, we are our afflictions are joining him in his afflictions. Not that we are adding to what he is. And I and I'm, that's what some would say is not that Paul is saying Christ's afflictions missed anything. However, they're not done because we're going to join him in those. So I, I and I personally that's where I land. So so the one is this hyper Symbolic idea, and I, it, that's fine. I don't really know if I agree with that. The, the one that I land most on is what I just described. So in that sense, when you and I are persecuted for any reason, like when we choose to follow Jesus, and, and we're going to get to this a little bit later, but persecution does not mean like... <laughs> 
they they don't say Christmas anymore. That's not persecution. <laughs> they took it off the Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Persecution is something way bigger than that. And what I'm saying is, when I choose to follow Jesus and I am shunned because of it, then I am joining him in his afflictions. If I, you know, am in a prison camp ever, and they ask me if I'm going to denounce Christ, and if not, they're going to crucify me to join my Savior, which is what happened in World War II in a number of Japanese prison camps in Japan. I'm saying not not the camps that were set up here in America. Uh, they would take prisoners of war, and if they found out they were a Christ follower, they would crucify them and say, well, mm. he told you to follow him, so he's, he, we're gonna, you're going to follow him all the way to the death. Those are afflictions. Those are persecutions. And in those moments, you are joining Christ in this, you know, this affliction. And the idea there is that the world is going to try to crush Christ's message, and we're joining Christ in his afflictions or joining him in his pain for his sake. So that's what Paul's trying to argue, I think. Mm-hmm. So the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. So this is talking about Jesus, right? Yes. And the fact that God alluded to a savior in the Old Testament, that's kind of that, that's been hidden. And now we know what he's talking about, right? Yes. Yes. That's at a base concept. That's exactly what's being said. Now, what is also being said, though, is that the messianic profile, the entire messianic profile, was never given in one section of verses. Mm-hmm. So I think I said this at some point, but I'll, I'll repeat it again. So in case you're ever going, well, where in the Old Testament does it talk about Jesus exactly? You and I both know there's a ton of passages it's, in the Old Testament that feel like Jesus, yeah. right? There's things that you read and you're like, oh, that's totally it. But it is sprinkled throughout the yeah. entire thing. You have to be a, an Old Testament master to be able to sense all of these things being pulled together. So some have used imagery like tapestry or a mosaic. There's a picture being painted of of the Messiah that Jesus completely fulfills, but you would never know that by reading the Old Testament. Mm. So it's a mystery until he arrives. But even think about on his way to the cross, his disciples are like, this isn't how it's supposed to go. And then he dies on the cross and they're like, he can't be the Messiah. There's no way. So they all freak out and they spend days, you know, mourning the fact that he died. And then he rises from the grave on Sunday and they're all like, what? I don't get it. You know? And it's like, well, (laughs) it's in the Bible. And so then Jesus spends the next 40 days teaching them how to understand what was supposed to happen. And they're all like, oh, that's so awesome. It was there the whole time, Mm -hmm. but we never would have seen it. So then what Paul does in, in his various church plans and elsewhere is he actually goes back through the Old Testament and shows people this is where it was the whole time. And that's how he's converting Jews. It's not him just saying, Jesus is Messiah. And they're all like, oh, yeah, totally. No, they're like, that's not he's true. Them he died on the cross. There's yeah. no way he's the Messiah. The, the Messiah wouldn't die on the cross. He's like, actually, and then he might take him to Isaiah 52 and 53. He might mm-hmm. take him to, uh, you know, Psalm 22. He might take him to various other places in the Old Testament, the snake being raised up or all these different things that are happening in the Old Testament. And it's, they're all pointing to Jesus. And what Paul's able to do and, and what Jesus teaches his disciples to do is to compile this mosaic and say, it's always been there, but it was a mystery. Now it's not a mystery. Now it's legit. Now you know exactly what's going on. And you might say, well, then why did God make it a mystery? Why didn't he just tell us straight up? Well, one of the clues for that is actually in 1 Corinthians 2 in verse 7 and 8. And it says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what Paul seems to be suggesting there is, mm. if the demons and the, the powers that be would have understood how this was all going to go down, they would have never killed him. The, 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 mosaic, the plan would have never happened. The mosaic would have been so or, clear for them that they wouldn't have followed through with, with the plan that God was, was planning, which is really stinking cool that we serve a God who's so good that he knows what you're going to do, and he's able to not adjust his plan, but his plan fits, that even if you run wild and do whatever you want to do, his plan still ultimately works out the way he wants it mm-hmm. to. 
Too like bad. he already knows. So he already step by step already has done everything so that it That should terrify us. Like when when we talk about the creation or not a creation story, the birth of Jesus, like how all of that worked together and he uses like that's what also I think is just totally crazy. totally. All right, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, so to them, that's talking about the saints, right? From the yeah. verse previously, okay. Because um, I just noticed that and I was like, I think that's who they're talking about. So I just think this is beautiful and I this is for us, right? Mm-hmm. This is, we are the Gentiles, the non-Jewish folk. So God has always been for everyone. This is something I had to come to grips with in the Old Testament. I was always thinking like, oh, he was just for the Jewish people and then now he's for everyone. And then um, I just remember realizing that There's lots of people he brings in, right? We talked about the genealogy of Jesus and all of the women that are mentioned are not Jewish people, but they are brought in. So lots of people are brought in if you want to be brought in. He's always been for everybody. But now it's more so that we don't have to follow the Jewish customs and he's opened it up in a way. And Paul is is being that messenger to those Jewish or to the the Gentile people and kind of showing that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know that I would say we don't need to follow the Jewish customs. If you feel led to do so, Paul says in elsewhere here in this, he's going to get into this in chapter two a little bit. He's not saying you don't need to. You can do whatever you want to do. If you feel closer to God by becoming a Jew and and choosing to follow mm-hmm. the festivals, he would do that. I mean, that's why he has Timothy circumcised. And else, there's a bunch of other things that are happening that are just kind of weird in the New Testament. So he's not saying you don't need to do anything. You can do whatever you want. The difference is that there's a freedom to it. So if you're a Gentile who comes to Christ, you don't then need to subject yourself to the customs of Christ or the customs of the Jewish people to become a Christian. You can choose to continue to practice the way you're practicing now, but you follow Christ. But if you feel led to do something else, do so. So I you know, I have Christian friends that are not Jewish who practice Sabbath, and I don't mean Sabbath isn't like I practice Sabbath where I pick a day of the week and I pretty much just don't do anything on that day. That's that's practicing Sabbath. But I'm talking about people who at sundown on Friday night, sundown on Saturday night, they are that is Sabbath. They do not touch it. They leave it the way the mm-hmm. Jews would do it. That's that's cool. You're allowed to do that. You know, I have people that eat kosher who are not Jewish because they want to practice what they feel the Old Testament's saying. You're welcome to do so, but you don't need to judge us for not doing it, or vice versa. We don't need to judge you for choosing to do it. I think that's kind of what he's getting at there. But before this, mm-hmm. they they did have to follow those. Correct? Like in the Old Testament, if you came into the fold, you were circumcised, you were all of those things. Yeah, you became Jewish, which is part of what the church was arguing in the beginning of like Acts 15. Mm-hmm. Part of what they're discussing there is do people need to become Jewish to become Christians? And the, the main reason why they, they agree that you don't have to become Jewish to become a Christian is that the Holy Spirit is given to Gentiles. So Cornelius and his house received the Holy Spirit, which is supposed to be reserved for followers of God and followers of God alone. Because they received the Holy Spirit without having practiced any of the customs, without being circumcised, mm-hmm. they realize, oh, it's outside of the customs. Now, when before Christ, if you became a Jew and you were circumcised and you, you practiced Jewish things, you were, you were becoming a Jew. So, of course, you did Jewish things. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yes— before this, the Jewish the Jews understood that their customs were what saved. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Some Jews, I should say, some Jews believe that their customs are what saved. Others saw that God alone saved, but they chose to practice the customs because they were honoring God with their lives, mm-hmm. which is what Paul's going to argue throughout all of the New Testament is this isn't about whether you do or don't. That's not the point. The point is what is your heart aiming for? Are you trying to serve God? If you're serving God, then go for it. 
as long as it's within God's word, do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Does that make it better mm-hmm. sense? Or? Yeah. And then, I mean, he, then he talks about the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is the mystery we've already talked about in the last verse. So those that have come to follow Christ under, like we understand what this richness mm-hmm. is, like the richness that accompanies this relationship. And I mean, we kind of talked, touched on it just a little bit ago, but just the freedom that is in it the love that is in it and just like care and provision. Like there's so much richness that they talk about. And I just love the idea of like Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mm-hmm. Like I just think that's, that is just so beautiful. And also we do not deserve that. No. Like the hope of glory, like that. Yeah, we don't deserve that. No, I'm with you. It's pretty beautiful though. Yeah, we don't. All right, verse 28. This is still talking about Christ. So him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So yeah, this is the goal, maturity, and not just for maturity's sake, just to become a a great adult, but being mature in Christ. Mm -hmm. And this kind of goes back to chapter one of like, how do we get there? We have wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then we know his will, and then we're able to bear fruit, and then we're able to learn and continue on that path, and then we become more mature. I mean, it's just as you are as a child, like you start to understand things better, you are you start to learn, and then you become mature, hopefully become mature. Not everybody becomes mature, but <laughs> so, and then there is that part too of like, we should be in that beginning, like we should be warning people of what is to come. We should be teaching them about Christ and that mm-hmm. he's the only thing that does save. Um, but I don't, I think we're so afraid to touch on that that we don't necessarily. I mean, like, that's a, that's what John the Baptist did. You know, like, repent. Like, the kingdom of God is near. Like, there was a lot of warning that came from his messages. The same thing with Jesus. But I don't think we do a lot of a lot of that warning today. No, I, yeah. I think the reaction to the turn and burn you know (laughs) doesn't go well does it no the 1950s and so and you know before that the the you are going to die and if you don't accept christ uh while that's totally true it didn't necessarily sway the culture the way that people thought so i would say jesus started to become more of a love idea starting starting in the 60s and 70s and we're still feeling the effects of that i think one of the beautiful things that's happening in our culture now especially within the church is people are realizing it's not really a turn and burn or a love it's kind of a both and thing like we do have to deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him and he also loves us Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah but we'll get into that more when we get to let's get practical yeah i mean yeah there's he is just but he also is love you know Mm -hmm. but also being love is being just yeah yeah. Anyways, no, you're, we'll touch that. You're totally right. And it's yeah. one of those things that I don't think people will fully grasp. And I don't know that we'll be able to fully grasp it no. within a podcast, but we'll we'll try to break it down if we can. Mm-hmm. Verse 29, for this I toil, this is Paul talking, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's just good. It is. Like the words he uses, granted, I know that they're translated into English. They're not his original. It's not Greek. But these are the words that closely align toil and like it should be a struggle. Like we should be kind of tired. We should be um, be struggling to do what we're supposed to be doing. But the key is that it's not of our own energy, Mm -hmm. that it's and it's not of our own strength. And it's that like he is getting us through powerfully works within me to be able to do these things like it's all his and we're just plowing through as best as we can. Like that's kind of the key is that it's him that gets us through the toil and the struggle. Yeah. I have a book brewing uh, for the last couple of years in my heart that's just on holy submission and what Mm. that really looks like and how it, yeah. And so that's, that's speaking right where I'm at. Just the idea that there is something that we have to do 
not to be saved. No. But we, once we're saved, we toil, we struggle to pursue what God wants us to do and what God would have us be. And when Paul's talking about this, it, you know, the toil is struggle, we think about a lot of times as a negative. Like, why wouldn't it be easy? But, you know, you go to the gym. You don't go to the gym to play with butterflies. You know, like you... <laughs> oh, look at him. <laughs> oh, it's flying everywhere. It's blue. Ah, oh, oh, the purple one. No, we go to the gym to toil and struggle to sort of beat our body into the direction that we want it to go, right? I mean, I don't know a single person who, you know, sits playing video games all day and eating Cheetos who's like, man, I, I'm, I'm totally I'm, getting this I'm six a, pack. I'm a bodybuilder. <laughs> no, you're not a bodybuilder. But the bodybuilder made made struggle and toil to get where they need to get. You're capable. You could do it. If you don't want to, that's up to you too. But if you want to be something, you've got to toil and struggle after it. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm going to be a faithful Christian and the whole world is telling me, go do whatever you want to do, there's probably going to need to be some kind of toil and struggle that's going to happen in my heart and my life to aim for what God wants me to be. Mm -hmm. So Paul keeps going in verse 1 of chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So, yeah, a question came to my mind while reading that verse of, like, do we have this same struggle for Christians and for non-Christians for them to stay that course or even to find the course? Like, the, the idea of struggle, like, we just throw up a prayer and we're like, okay, that was good. But, like, do we feel it in our gut? Do we no. feel it in our soul of, like, this is life or death, you know? Like, right. that sort of a thing. And, I mean, even for me, no. Like, the majority of the time, no. Mm-hmm. Um, or are we really quick to say, like, oh, I totally knew they were going to fail. Like, that's what I think comes to mind a lot. Like, when we see, I mean, there's been a lot of notable heads of churches that have fallen. And instead of struggling for them and with them for their course, we're just like, man, I knew they were going to fall. Mm-hmm. I should never have trusted them. Or I should. And instead, like, yeah, we yeah, we just, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and part of what his struggle is goes back to chapter one where he's talking about how much he's toiling to pray for them. He is. Yeah. So he's in jail, you know, potentially being mistreated, potentially being, you know, not, not properly fed. You know, we don't know if he's being beaten, but maybe whatever's going on. And his first reaction is not to have a pity party in, in a cell all by himself. His first reaction is to toil and struggle to pray for them and try to encourage them by the spirit from a long ways away. Yeah. That's this verse... When, when we were working through this this book as a church, because uh, our sermon series is on the same thing, this verse was convicting me because I'm throwing pity parties about COVID and mm. stuff as opposed to looking forward to the future saying, all right, God, we've got this thing in our you know, in our midst. What am I, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to struggle and toil to aim for what you want me to, to do and to read for all that have not seen me face to face? I was going, man, this guy may never see these people face to face. And I'm complaining because it's been a couple of weeks, you know, like right. that's messed up. Like what is going on? So, that's so true. I need a bigger, you know, I gotta, I gotta have a stronger backbone within my own faith. So. All right. Chapter two, verse two, that our hearts may be encouraged, sorry, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So I was noticing how many times he uses the word mystery. Mysterion. It's been a lot. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this almost kind of has that connection with this special knowledge that they're trying. So it's almost because that's what we talked about with Colossians. And Mm -hmm. that's one of their pitfalls is that there's this thought going around that there's this special knowledge that they need to attain. Right. 
And so, and it's creeping into this congregation and he's almost like using this mystery thing just to be like, no, the only mystery is Jesus. It's not Jesus plus something else. It is literally just Jesus. So when he's using this word continually about, it's really just about God's plan with Jesus. Like Jesus is the mystery and it's actually not hidden anymore. It's not a mystery. It's not secret anymore. He's kind of like trying to debunk that, Mm -hmm. it seems. Mm Mm-hmm. He absolutely is. And so I'm going to circle back to that in a deeper dive. But that is, so keep that in your head, like, because the next couple of verses are going to deal with it as well. But what he's saying here is he's pointing out something about the mystery that's going to be, I think, significant for us. So I'll circle back to that, but you're, you're totally catching it right there. So verse three, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, it just, it kind of reiterates it, but it's so beautiful that like just hitting them where they're struggling mm-hmm. and where they're missing the mark a little bit, Jesus has all all of the wisdom and knowledge, like no one else, nothing else. It's literally just him. Don't add anything else to it. Right, right. Verse four, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Yeah. So I think the thing that stuck out to me the most in this one was the plausible arguments, because obviously that is what they're dealing with is these these thoughts that come up that are like that kind of sounds true that kind of sounds right and he is wanting them to remind themselves that like truth is only found here right it's not going to be found anywhere else but it's really almost like he's talking to us in our day and age because i feel like culture has really started to creep in to our christianity and plausible arguments are starting to creep in and like we're bringing it side by side with the gospel or bringing it side by side with biblical truth and saying they're the same and they're not. So, and we're going to talk about some of those maybe plausible arguments in the in the getting practical segment, but they sound really great. And there actually probably is some truth in them, mm-hmm. but they veer off to the left or um or they just miss the mark a little bit. They're not quite following biblical but there is some truth in it so that's where you kind of are like oh well it sounds right but when you really follow it down its path it's like no like if you say that then that means this must be true and this must be true and this must be true you know like yeah so the plausible arguments i think is huge for us today yeah i'm with you all righty time for the deeper dive i wanted to like drag that one out but then i thought no i don't want to drag it out i want to keep the episode moving (laughs) So let's do just that. So the main thing I want to focus on here, and and again, these passages are chock full of things to talk through. Yeah. The one that I want to talk about the most is back to that idea of, um, sorry, I'm scrolling up to see it. This idea of, of hidden knowledge, uh, and then that leads to sort of this Gnostic idea, then, and which then opens up a doorway that I want to talk through. So Here's where I'll start. When when Paul's writing Colossians, I feel like one of the questions he's asking them to consider is, is Christ enough? Mm. Because, and I, and I think that speaks to us big time, which is why it's a, an important deeper dive question. Because I have people say things like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, and they start running down a road of, well, I prayed for this, but this didn't happen. Or I wanted this job and it didn't go my way. Or I didn't get that good grade in, uh, on the test you know, I prayed right before I took it and I got a D and I don't understand why God didn't give me better. Or why did God take my friend? 
Or why did this person not step in to stop this from happening? Or why did God not send an angel to stop my grandma from getting hit by a car? Or, you know, like random stories, there's millions of them. And you know people who have them, right? How did this person get kidnapped? That doesn't make any sense. Why did this person get raped? Why that is And we, we run down all these roads and we see God's sovereignty as this thing of He's going to push buttons and make things happen exactly the way they're supposed to. And and even back a little bit ago when we, we talked about God seeing all things and working them together for his plan, we choose to say, well, then that means God orchestrated all the details. Yeah, he made all of those things happen. Right. And the Bible's really clear that, yes, God is fully in charge. We use the word sovereignty there. And there's a major theological discussion about how much and what does that look like. You know, you could go the Calvinism versus Arminian route, or you could, you know, there's Molinism or God's understanding of middle knowledge. And if none of that makes any sense to you, then just forget all of it. <laughs> Let me just speak really practically in this deeper dive about what that means. God is fully sovereign, which means his plan is going to be accomplished at the end. He does see all things. He's already, he knows what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it all happens. However, he also is inviting humanity into this conversation and he wants us to take part in it with him. I don't know why. We have no right to be there, but he wants us to be a part of it. So you and I can pray for something and he might very well listen to our prayer and do what we've asked him to do. That's craziness to me. Mm Mm-hmm. He's also going to know that his answer either fills his purposes or does not. So the question is, is Jesus enough? Is, is he enough or if you don't get the job, does that mean that Jesus isn't enough for you? Because so many people say to me stuff, you know, like, well, pastor, you know, Jesus didn't do this or this for me. And so I don't know if I trust him anymore. Well, he's already done it all. Like there's nothing yeah. else that he needs to do for you. If you say, well, I want him to be loving to me. He already was. I want him to save me from my sins. Welcome to the club. Like he's done all of this. Like mm-hmm. in Christ, he lived the life you and I couldn't live. The gospel says that he was the son of man. He was the son of God. He was the high priest. He was the sacrifice. He, if you go through the New Testament, all of the things you want Jesus to be, your mediator, your arbiter, your lawyer, whatever words you want to use, your pioneer. He's done all of those things. And all of these titles that are thrown about of of him in the New Testament, every one of them says, Jesus is enough. He's done it. Trust him. Mm. But then what happens is we accept him and we're full of this excitement. I I don't know about you, but when I first accepted Christ, like I remember feeling tingly. It was like mm-hmm. this really cool moment of, man, I, and I, you know, people have said to me, that's the Holy Spirit. You were being filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. Maybe, or maybe I was just understanding the Excited. rawness of my sin yeah. and overwhelmed with how dirty I am and how amazing God is that he would save me. And that was a beautiful moment. The problem is that fuzziness wears off just like in a relationship. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, we talked about that with various relationship parts of the podcast we've talked through. So my relationship with Jesus was fuzzy and warm and amazing in the beginning. And Jesus was enough. And then what happened is it started to fade and I wanted something more. And I think what's happening in this church, the, Coloss- the, the church in Colossae, is they are so desirous for this feeling, this extra something, that they're going looking for it in all the wrong places. And what Paul's saying is, no, 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 the, the mystery, the only mystery you need is Christ. And he's accomplished it. He's done it. If you're looking for more, the answer is still in him, but it's not necessarily what you think. And what you're looking for is more warm fuzzies. And so if you go looking for that, you might find it in Gnosticism, mm-hmm. which says, I'm going to be an ascetic or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set aside my physical wants and needs and serve God by not getting anything because my physical body is bad and I'm going to avoid the physical because it's, it's important for me to be one with God. And Paul would say, that's ludicrous. 
the mystery has already been fulfilled with Christ. He is flesh. He is spirit. Both of those things are combined. He is asking you to join him in this pursuit to bring heaven to earth, so to speak. On the flip side of that, you might say, well, since the physical doesn't matter, I'll do whatever I want to do. And I'll just pursue and eat and do whatever I want. You know, mm-hmm. I can sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. I can do whatever I want to do. And all of that is, is pursuant of this idea of the physical doesn't matter at all. So what's the point? So both sides say physical doesn't matter, but they have different reactions to yeah. it. And what he's pushing back on is you are thinking that you're looking for some kind of supernatural extra thing. And that supernatural extra thing you think is an angel. The problem is the angels are subservient to Christ. So stop. Stop chasing after everything else. Do you trust that Christ alone is enough? And if you do, then live like it. Be what God's called you to be. And so with that said, you're going to hear plausible arguments, which might say the body doesn't matter. So don't, it doesn't matter what you do. And you might entertain any concept, anything. You might do whatever you want to do with your body because in the end it's going to burn. What's the big deal, right? I can do whatever I want to do to it. And he's like, that's a plausible argument that doesn't really fly if you read the scriptures and understand what the scriptures say. On the flip side, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm going to put myself on a pole for 30 years so that nobody, because what the pole sitters did in the medieval times, because mm-hmm. they wanted to be close to God. They just avoided the world altogether. And Paul's going to say, no, I, I'm toiling for you. I'm using the world as my benefit. Like I'm using what is in existence yeah. to serve God and to do it well. So as I understand God's glory and I'm seeking after God's glory, I am being changed and I'm taking part of these afflictions that Christ joined in. My body's really suffering. My body's really suffering so that I can serve you and do what needs to be done. So so the deeper dive question here is, is Christ enough? And what he's going to dive into for the next part of of chapter two and then into chapter three is this idea of there is nothing else you need. Christ is more than enough for you. Since that's true, don't let someone delude you with with possible mm. arguments. Instead, use your body, use everything you've got at your disposal and, to- and toil and struggle for, for Christ. Do what needs to be done so that God's purposes will be served through you because one day you'll be in glory with him. Mm. So does that make sense? Yeah. Anything you would add or push back on? I mean, I, I just remember hearing a message that was talking about, uh, I feel like it was, is it John 5? Where... He starts talking to this big group, and then the group slowly dwindles and dwindles yeah. and dwindles John and dwindles. John six, six. Okay, yep. and and it is. It's like, are you here for Jesus or are you here for the blessing? Right. And I remember hearing that. I mean, this was only a couple of years ago, and right. I remember hearing that and being like, I think I'm here for the blessing. I truly think that I've been here for the blessing because. I've been frustrated that I didn't get this job or that these things didn't open up or that my life isn't what I thought it was, like all of those things and realized I don't think I was here just for Jesus. Right. So that was a come to Jesus moment. Which is a sad sad realization, but the response then is, yeah, Jesus is enough. Yeah. And then we turn our bodies toward that and we repent and we choose to listen to him and let him be the leader. Yeah. Which is really what Paul's going to strive for in Colossians, but he's building this argument in these first two two chapters and saying, if Christ really is the head of the church, if he really is the firstborn of the new creation, if he really is the invisible version or the visible version of the invisible God, if he is the perfect stamp of Christ, of God that we're looking for, then what else do you need? Like mm-hmm. you're good. And and people just miss that so often. And so it's just as true today, which is oh, kind yes. of what we're going to move into with the let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. So my first let's get practical actually is going to deal with burnout. And it's referring to verse 29 where Paul is talking about God's energy that is going to work powerfully within him. And I think this is where we lose it and we forget this. And I don't think this is where we start. I think we start with him being the sole focus, um, that the plan is his, that we are so focused on that. But we start to make it more about us. We begin... um, doing the toiling and the struggling and we kind of forget the end part of like 
It's supposed to be his energy and powerful works within us. And this is where I believe burnout starts to happen. We um, we forget to stay the course. And most likely what starts to happen is you start picking things up that you weren't intended to pick up. So it might be helping somebody with a project that you weren't meant to actually help them with. And you are thinking you're being kind, which yes, you are. But it's not your course. It's kind of you deviating a little bit from your course. Or maybe you're being a part of a team or Whatever it is, like somebody asks mm-hmm. you to do something. And I see this a lot of times in the church as well, where you're doing tons of different things. And for one, you've lost sight of your course. No longer is God actually working powerfully and you're just doing a ton of things. And then, um, yeah, you're starting to get kind of burned out because you're just doing all of this stuff in your own your own energy and your own strength because that will deplete. But God's energy and God's strength will not deplete. Right. So then we just become really busy. We're just busy people. And in our downtime is spent actually usually just numbing ourselves. So it might be spending time on the phone or spending time on the TV instead of actually letting him refill you and give you that energy and strength back, which this is totally, I mean, I do this too. I'm tired, so I'm like, I'm just gonna go watch something when I get home. Or And that's not always bad, but if you're not allowing him to refill you at all, then you are always going to be depleted. So burnout occurs because we are not abiding. We're not staying in tune with his spirit and his leading. We either haven't taken breaks like we need to. Um, we're yeah. Usually it's we're putting too much stuff on our plate. But we need to be remembering who actually sustains us, who gives us the energy and the strength to go on, who's given us the mission in the first place. Right. And sometimes we really just got to say no. Just like don't don't say yes to that other thing. Don't say yes to that other thing. Like literally just say no. No can some people are really good at saying no. A lot there's other people that are not very good at saying no. <laughs> and if you're one of those that's good at saying no, then maybe that's not where you need to be. But if you're one of those that like, yeah, I kind of say yes to everything and then I find that I'm overbooked or I find that I have too many commitments and I can't make them, this is probably you. And so saying no can really be your best friend. And actually just staying your course. I think sometimes we get in all of these other courses and realize like, what am I actually doing? I'm just like dabbling in a ton of different things, but actually really finding out what your course is and staying it and having him continue to like be your strength and your energy instead of your own. And then, yeah, then you get burned out. Yeah. Preach. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm happy with that or convicted. And so I'll figure out how I feel. All right. What's the other one? So I kind of also wanted to talk about some plausible arguments. Um, I mean, we are, I remember talking about one at the very beginning of this podcast, when somebody brought something to me that, um, and I was like, that does sound right. Like, yeah, if that's bringing you closer to God, then how can that be wrong? And then I realized like a year later, like they're no longer walking with Christ. So no, it technically wasn't bringing them closer to God. Like it was, <laughs> you know? And so I, I fell victim to that plausible argument. Cause I was like, yeah, like how could that be wrong if that's actually bringing you closer to Christ? And then, and this was just a few years, I mean like five years ago. And then I was like, oh, but are you still close with Christ? Can you say that today? You know, and so I just thought it'd be good for us to talk about some of these plausible arguments that are in our culture today that they sound good, right? Like they sound true um, and there is an element of truthness to them, but they go down a path that ends up, yeah, kind of becoming very not true. Yeah, it's the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So instead of taking truth, which is the scriptures and letting Jesus be our guide, we try to let our conscience be our guide. And the more we unhitch ourselves from what the scriptures are saying, the more we completely blow it and move in a direction we shouldn't. Yeah. So what's one of these plausible arguments today? So one of the plausible arguments that I hear often is this idea of love is love. Um, I hear it all of the time. Right. That like love over here is the same as love over here. And it's just love. Like it's just all love. 
And love, I mean, there's parts of it that can be true that like you can love this person and you can love this person. Uh, But also like love is not love. I mean, their idea of love is just I'm going to condone everything that you do. And um, that it's just this feeling, right? It's just I love this person today, but I'm going to love this person tomorrow. And it kind of like flows. Mm hmm with the 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 wind and the waves and there really isn't any actual foundation like i w- there really isn't any definition of what love actually is no. in this statement correct and what's amazing is when you look at scripture scripture repeatedly tells us what love actually is right mm-hmm. think about all the times in psalm 119 it says i love your laws i love your commandments i love the way you teach me how to live and then we read in first john 4 god is love and then it goes and so we we love quoting that part of that verse you know yeah, god is right? love and so then what happens in our culture is we say well god is love we should love everyone since we love everyone it doesn't matter what they think and since love is love everyone can do whatever they want to do mm-hmm. and as long as they think they're honoring god with it everything's great but they forget to read the next couple of verses in there and it says God is love we know that God is love because he sent his son to die in our place and suffer for all the sins that you and I have committed and then we take that sacrificial God honoring connection with God love which means I'm going to do things God's way even if the world kills me for it I mean that's what he did yeah like that is what Jesus did <laughs> that's exactly what he did yes and then I'm going to pursue that kind of love that's not the love is love argument that you hear yeah very true because what the love of love is love argument says, the culture says this is fine. Everything's great. So I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And that's not the love that the Bible's arguing for. What the mm-hmm. Bible's arguing for is what did God say? And it, and some people read that as, okay, well, then that means God doesn't love me because I like, you know, I, I'm, I'm attracted to the same sex or mm-hmm. I, I prefer this version of person versus this version of person, or I love... I love this idea or this idea. You know, like we, we chase after all these ridiculous things. And the problem is we don't step back and say, what is the Bible actually saying? And am I just making love whatever I want love to be? Or am I saying, here's what love is? And then we, and so like I said, so then we go, well, that means God doesn't love me. He absolutely loves you. And here's how I've chosen to deal with this argument for a lot of folks that are struggling with orientation or, you know, even their own identity mm-hmm. for whatever. I say, what if God's plan for you is the most beautiful version of yourself? That's what love is. So what love is, God has this amazing concept of what he sees in you and what he wants you to be. And you are constantly being pushed by the culture, even possibly within your own heart, right? Your own flesh is Mm -hmm. desiring something other than what God has for you. So true love would be you surrendering all of your wants and needs and letting God be the one that leads you. Yeah, That's love. And people don't like that love. Because I mean, that's even love in a marriage is supposed to be you surrendering. It is love. Yeah. And that person should be first. I mean, that's even in that type of a relationship, that's what it's supposed to be. But yeah, we make it what we want all of the time. It's a very selfish love and that's not love. Your like wi- love is right. Your, selfless. Your wife is not always going to be in the mood. No. And that means that you're going to sacrifice in love. Your husband isn't always going to want to do the project you want them to do right now. Mm-hmm. And so you setting aside your own wants and needs is going to allow love to be love. If you both come together and sacrifice for one another constantly, then that's a relationship that's beautiful. And you're going to say, well, I don't really want to. That's not the point. No. But also the husband can't tell his wife, well, you need to do this for me. That's not really how it works. No. So this isn't a thing where you get your will or they get their will. The, the way that this is supposed to work is, is a mutual surrender. Yeah. A constant mutual surrender. And if we start talking about that, like that's love. That Love is love. That's what love is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But we, we twist it and say, well, I want this and that's what I'm going to go after and it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, the Bible doesn't 
suggest that at all for you. And so I'm, I'm sorry that we aren't going to agree on this. You know, I can, I can still love you, but what you're pursuing is not true love. And that's a problem. Yeah. So the next kind of plausible argument, and I wasn't quite sure how to word this, but it's just this idea of like, we have to protect what is ours in this country, in this nation. And this kind of goes with the idea of like the wall or immigrants and that sort of thing. And Or cloak it and we're going to lose religious liberty. Yes. Oh, yes. Yep. Right. And to some extent... Yes, there is an I I mean, like the truth in it would be um, I mean, we yes, there we can't just open up everything because things all things could happen, you know, like bad things could happen. Right. But I mean, I'm just reminded of where Jesus basically says, like, if somebody steals something from you, give them the other thing, the other thing. you know, like they steal your your cloak, give them your shirt. You know, that is not protecting what's yours at all. Right. Like that is kind of that lot like sacrificially giving. Right. Right. Which you know, we're not going to go super po- political here, but no. but this is part of what people struggle with is we want what used to be, even if used to be didn't really exist. Yeah. And what ends up happening is we, we want to protect what's ours. At least that's what we think we're doing. But what we are really doing is just trying to grab onto something that may or may not have ever existed and try to make that the way things are supposed to be again. The problem is the Bible tells us over and over again that the world is at war with us. And so what ends up happening is we're clinging for territory that we may not actually be entitled to. That is not saying that we should then desire persecution. That is not saying that we should desire our religious liberties to be taken away. But it does mean that if we're going to protect what's ours, it means we're going to speak up to the individuals that in our life. We're going to talk to them about it. And if they vote our way, then great. If they choose not to, we have to understand that we are in a hostile world that's going to go a different direction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've had a number, number of people in the last few weeks, we should fight for what's right. Absolutely. But are we going to win? I don't know that we are. And I don't know that we're ever called to win because, back to what I was saying earlier in the deeper dive, we've already won in Christ. Yeah. So if, if everything is stripped away from me, if tax-exempt status goes away, if I'm thrown in jail for not pursuing or performing a wedding that someone wants me to do, if I am – all of those things are on the table. And if mm-hmm. I'm going to serve Christ in a hostile world, in a hostile culture, in a hostile America, which we might get there. Yeah. But we may not. We just don't know. We yeah. don't know what tomorrow brings. And we spend more time worrying about that huh. and trying to convince everybody else in the world that our opinion is right, which then throws down the idea that my political agenda is the only agenda that's worth fighting for versus realizing that everyone in the whole world is a human being. They deserve love, even if they completely are wrong. I can love them, try to help them see the truth of the gospel. And if they choose to disagree with me and throw me in jail, I'm still going to love them. Yeah. But we're going to do. we're going to have to agree to disagree at some point. And so what ends up happening is we protect what's ours by like putting up a wall and holding people out or, or finding ways to, uh, you know, say, well, well, we should be taking care of the poor. So that's why taxes are important. And we, we miss kind of the real point of the argument. Mm-hmm. And, and so, again, what, what all of these things that we're talking about, really what happens in our culture is we take a biblical concept and we twist it and 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 get it to a point where it doesn't even re- resemble the Bible yeah. anymore. And now that's what we're going to go with, mm-hmm. which is sad. Yeah. I mean, I kind of talked about this a little bit, too, when we were talking about actually struggling for Christians um, and just kind of saying, like, oh, I knew it. I knew they were going to do that. And it's just this idea of they must have had it coming. Right. Right? Like, we hear, we see the news story or we see any story and where somebody is, like, victimized or whatever it might be and we 
in our heart automatically are just like either there's more to the story or they must have had it coming or this serves them right or whatever those thoughts are. Um, And I think what we miss a lot of the time is actually just listening to people's story and having some empathy towards them. Instead, we judge them right away or we just, yeah, we look at them and assume a lot of things about them. And I mean, I was struck this with this a lot this this year, just hearing people's stories and just being shocked at the things that I heard and the things that happened to them. And I think a couple of years ago, I would have had the thought of, oh, there must be more to the story. But then I this year, I kind of was like, but what if there isn't? But also, even if there is a little bit more to the story, possibly, mm-hmm. this is their experience and this is how they feel about it. It doesn't really matter. Like, I should just hear it and feel it, whatnot. So, right. um, yeah, just this idea that, yeah, they they must have had it coming or whatever. Right. And we sometimes cloak that in biblical language. You know, the Bible says, uh, an is, eye for this, an eye. this <laughs> is the punishment for this. This is the punishment for this. And we actually neglect what the gospel is trying to do is show us that, yeah, an eye for an eye. But more often than not in the scriptures, that eye for an eye thing is replaced with grace. Yeah. And maybe we're supposed to follow that example as opposed to the other. But who am maybe? I? Who am who I? Who knows? Who am yeah. I? Corner with Erica. All right. So this week, I am going to stop looking at me like that. This week, I'm actually going to be basically counseling myself. Isn't that great? This is weird, but I'm, I'm yeah, to right? into it. Let's I mean, this is what I do on a daily basis to talk myself off the proverbial, fake, thank proverbial you. edge. Yep, yeah. Yep. Um, so as many of you know, I am getting married <gasps> in a m- month and a half. And when I was planning my wedding, I knew of, I mean, COVID was a thing when I got engaged. Yeah. So I knew this was going to be here. Um, and I already factored COVID into my wedding. I only invited 50 people, well, less than 50 people. So I could have that 50 person mark. Um, but if your area is anything like our area, we are way past our 8% positivity rate of being okay. So I am now having to replan and restructure my wedding to have far less people. And so um, I actually struggled to have sleep last night because of, of thinking of this and pondering this. And I have had a lot of the, my thoughts this whole time have been, oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be all right, blah, blah, blah. But that was when I had this, I already had planned this, right? The the 50 mm-hmm. person. And I've come to realize, a little aside, I've come to realize about myself, I don't deal with change well. And I, especially not right away. I need time to like reprocess my expectations. And some people are just like, whatever, go with the flow. Like that my fiance is basically like that. Like he's just go with the flow. Whereas I'm, I need to like mourn those expectations before I can create new expectations. And so if you're like me and lots of things have not been going your way this year, lots of things, which I feel like that's everybody. Like, let's be real, everyone, nothing's been going your way this year and that's okay. Um, And if you're like me where you need time to actually mourn that expectation first and for some reason you uh, negative talk yourself of like, I just need to get over this. Like, I just need to get over this. I just need to trust God and just get over this. And it's okay to mourn those expectations. It's okay to lose a little bit of sleep and be sad. I've shed a few tears. That's okay. None of that stuff is wrong and none of that stuff means you don't trust God. None of that stuff means that you've taken it into your own hands and are holding it too tight. None of that means any of that like your emotions are fine now granted you don't want to hold on to them for too long because then they do become they do you are then holding them and you're not actually trusting but it is okay to mourn those things and it is okay to take the time that you need and then 
you can move forward. Because I know I've noticed that a lot over the last few months of I would beat myself up over over being sad or being disappointed. Like I know even trying to think of like it was something super small. Oh, like the the invites that I um, had one of my friends create. I didn't really realize the dimensions and one of them was a little bit different. And I'm like, nobody else is going to realize this, but I do. And so I'm going to allow myself to be a little disappointed and then I'll, you know, I'll move on eventually. And by eventually, I mean like in a day, you know, I'm not going to take weeks to, to mourn that expectation. But my counsel corner for myself and for you is if you find yourself in that place where you need to mourn something that you lost, if you need to mourn expectations that were not met, mourn them, take that time. There's nothing wrong with that. But then you do need to move on. One advice that my mom gave me when I was younger, which I still take today, I would be really sad about something, usually giving myself some a pity party. And she never told me to get over it. She never said, Erica, just get over it. Erica, you know, like whatever it might be, whatever self-help you might hear. She was like, Erica, you can feel it for tonight and then you need to move on. And that was like the best advice mm-hmm. that, and I still give that to people today. You can feel it for now, but then you do need to, you do need to move on. Um, she never shamed me. And so, and I feel like that's truly how God is too. Like, I don't think he's sitting up there shaming you for feeling sad about your bachelorette party, not going how you wanted it to, or feeling sad about you only being able to have 10 people at your wedding or feeling sad about the fact that you can't go to that concert or travel to that place or see that person, like whatever it might be. Um, I don't think he's saying that to you. So don't be giving yourself any negative talk. Feel it. And then for a feel it for a time. If you still if you're still feeling it a week later, you maybe then need to you really need to let it go. So that would be my council corner for myself that I'm feeling currently. Um, And I don't know if anybody else is that same boat, but I imagine so, since we all are feeling a little lost this year. Well, and you said something really smart earlier in the podcast that fits to this as well. I said let, something smart? Let the spirit lead you. Yeah. If you're feeling convicted, if, if you're dwelling on it too long and the spirit starts to convict you, then give it up. Yeah. But he's not judging you for being upset about something. That That's part of humanity. Yeah. And otherwise, the Psalms would have never been written. Right. The book of Lamentations would Just not Just all lovely things. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We have will, a great week. We will talk to you soon. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at the Yamcast. Yamcast.